Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. Joined here with my co-host Wheeler, and today we have a lot to discuss. Um, we're just going to talk about the early signing period uh, happening that happened on December fifteenth. Just kind of break down where Auburn's recruiting class is and the surge that it that it took throughout December. We're going to talk about potential transfers that uh, Brian Harson and company are looking for in the portal, um, and then obviously we're going to have a little bit of basketball at the end. So. Wheeler, obviously, we were really excited about the early signing period and how that turned out. But we ended up being 13th in the in the class after the early signing period. So was that kind of above or below or kind of right at the number that you predicted for the class? And how would you grade the class if you were giving a grade? Yeah, so obviously, I think that was a pretty good um, outcome for the class, especially considering where the class started, um, you know, within the last month. I think literally a month ago we were ranked 41st and we're only ahead of Vanderbilt. Um, so overall, I think a big win for the class. Uh, a lot of people obviously complain, and I think rightfully so, that we didn't sign any offensive linemen. Um, but I also don't think that there were many offensive linemen that we were in on. To It's not like we were swinging and missing on offensive linemen in this class. So I think that's important to remember. And I think I'm going to withhold judgment of, you know, my overall how I think this class is until after the later signing period where we're going to see how many guys we signed from the transfer portal um, and maybe picking up a couple more high school offensive linemen. Because the thing is, even if you pick up transfer portal linemen for this class, that's fine. Like that'll help us next year, but we do, we need to get a couple of offensive linemen, hopefully coming out of high school um, in the later signing class so that we have two or three high school guys so that we're not constantly in this cycle of having to go to the transfer portal for O-line. But overall, yeah, I mean, I would give it a A minus. They were able to close the deal on Robert Woodyard and get him flipped from Alabama. So he's the first guy since uh, Stephen Roberts to flip from Alabama to Auburn. And really the first, Stephen was a meaningful flip, but Stephen would not have been a starter at Alabama at any time in his career. And we may look back at Robert and say the same thing. But as for right now, seems like a really big flip of commitment. Um, Obviously, there were a couple of guys that we were in on on signing day that we were hoping would sign with Auburn that I think would have made it an A-plus class with Curtis Perry being one um, and then the other one being the receiver from out in Oregon. Um, both of those, I know we were in on them, but it just really didn't seem like as the week was progressing that Auburn was going to be able to land those guys. 
so overall, yeah, no, I give it a really good grade. I'm really impressed, and I think that if we're able to sign a couple of transfer portal linemen, maybe a transfer portal quarterback, that we're going to be in really good shape for next season. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, with what you were saying about the offensive line, I kind of, I don't know, I, I get more excited about finding an offensive lineman in the transfer portal as opposed to landing even four stars because the thing is, it's like the transfer portal guys are guys that you can just plug and play. And I feel like offensive linemen especially are people that you can just plug right in. And I feel like there's less confusion because I feel like a lot of offensive linemen, especially in high school, will have either the right size or have good technique and need to get bigger. But it's like it's rare to find one that is really good technique and the right size that you need for an offensive lineman. So I think that for a transfer portal guy, you can kind of see how they shape up in college. And, you know, if it's a guy from a power five, you're like, okay, well, you can see how he plays against competition similar to what he'll face in the SEC. And if he's from a non-power five school, you can see, okay, well, he dominates all these people. He's ready for the the next step. So I think that Auburn will definitely pursue some offensive linemen in the transfer portal this, this, uh, this cycle. But another thing is we still have to see where our offensive linemen are going to be, you know, like, you know, obviously Bradarius Ham right tackle has declared for the NFL draft. Um, Nick Brahms underwent surgery, so he won't play in the bowl game, but he still has the option to come back for after, you know, all the COVID stuff. He's got his free year of eligibility. He can come back. Um, obviously, Tayshawn Manning transferred, but you still have, Austin Troxel, Brandon Council with the option to come back. Keontre Jones is a sophomore, so he'll be back. So we could legitimately bring back four starters on the offensive line, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, then offensive line isn't as big of an issue, you know? Yeah, I'm intrigued to see how many of those guys actually stay. Um, I felt really good about Nick Brom staying. Uh he got carried off the field yesterday in their little senior carry off the field thing as their last practice in Auburn. Um, and I didn't take that as a great sign that he's coming back. I mean, obviously, if he hasn't decided, he probably wants to do that just so that if he ends up not coming back, uh, he he had that experience. But I just feel like at this point, especially if you had surgery, and you're not actively practicing, like you've had plenty of time to think about whether you're going to come back or, you know, go pursue your career and whatever. And the fact that he was getting carried off yesterday, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I really feel like that's not a great indication of Brahms coming back. Um, the other guys, I'm having a really tough time getting a read on. So, again, it's like you said, you can't evaluate the class fully or all the people that are trying to predict, you know, what our record's going to be next year when they have absolutely no idea what the team, like this year more than ever, I feel like we have no idea what the roster's even going to look like. And it could really swing wildly from guys that we know, much less guys that are transferring in. So really tough to give an evaluation of how the coaching staff has done filling holes and recruiting guys back. But hopefully we can keep a bunch of offensive linemen because that's really the position that I think has the most question mark. I think that and quarterback are kind of the two biggest question marks going into next season. Yeah, I totally agree. And speaking of quarterback, one of the like one of the marquee members of this class is four star QB Holden Gurner. Uh kind of led his team 
in 4A Georgia High School to a state title, threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Obviously, we're really excited about him. But do you think, and this is a question that a lot of Auburn fans have kind of been wrestling with, if you want to start a true freshman at quarterback, because I think that we, you know, we've, we'll talk about this a little later with the Demetrius Davis and TJ Finley situation for the bowl game against Houston. But, you know, a lot of people wanted to start Demetrius Davis over Bo Nix as a true freshman. You know, they were like, oh, we think Davis is better than Nix. He should start as a true freshman. Um, And I feel like a lot of those people are kind of the same people that either want Davis to start or they want Holden to start as a true freshman. And I just, I don't know about you, but I really don't like the idea of starting a true freshman quarterback in the SEC, regardless of how good they are. I just think it's extremely difficult to do when the system is not completely built for a QB to succeed. You know, like I feel like you look at Georgia in 2017, they started or they weren't planning on starting true freshman Jake Fromm, but after Jacob Eason went down, Jake Fromm came in, but he was kind of in a situation where he just didn't have to lose the game. You know, like that's kind of the same thing Stetson Bennett's in right now. It's like as long as you don't make mistakes that will just lose you the game, you'll probably win because the surround the supporting cast is so much better than everyone else's. Auburn's not going to be like that. So Auburn's quarterback has to be a game changer, not a game manager in this season. And so you have the option. You can either go TJ, who I feel like we've kind of seen isn't going to be a game changer. You've got Demetrius Davis, who we've kind of seen, you know, we saw in high school he was good. Haven't really seen him in college. We don't know what he could be. Holden's an early guy. Or you can go for a transfer portal guy and try and find a game changer out there. So either what are your thoughts on – Auburn's QB situation and how do you think we'll be able to juggle this do you think we'll go with Holden do you think we'll go with Demetrius do you think we'll stick with Finley or do you think we'll look for a uh, a Keaton Slovis or a Cameron Ward or a guy like that in the uh, in the transfer portal yeah I think it's it's interesting right now because we have a quarterback coach coming in that seems like a very high level quarterback coach um that will hopefully be able to develop the guys. And as it stands right now, you'll have three quarterbacks that are going to go through spring practice and fall camp, assuming we don't bring in a guy from the transfer portal, which I think the goal is to bring in somebody from the transfer portal. But also, I don't I don't know how many guys in the transfer portal that they could bring in are that much better than the guys that we already have on campus. And I don't see Harson being somebody that's going to bring a guy in just to bring him in. Like, there are a ton of quarterbacks in the portal right now, but TJ Finley is a somewhat capable college football player. Holden Gurner, very highly recruited player. Demetrius Davis, highly recruited, hasn't seemed to have quite the success that we were hoping for. The thing is, other than Keenan Slovis, or Keenan Slovis, and uh, is it Cameron Brown? Is that his? Cameron Ward. Cameron Ward. They're both, those are, seem to be the two kind of highest quarterback prospects that Auburn has. Other than that, it doesn't seem like there are many quarterbacks that seem to be a whole lot better than TJ Finley or Holden. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I think it's also going to dictate, you know, when is Austin Davis, how, how involved is Austin Davis going to be in recruiting this new quarterback? So Austin Davis, for those that don't know, is the new offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach. Um, how much is he going to be able to recruit while he's still at the Seahawks? Is he recruiting at all while he's at the Seahawks? Does that affect who we're able to bring in? So those are question marks we can't answer. And then 
I think that the three quarterbacks that are on campus, it's interesting. So we have Demetrius Davis, who we've mentioned, came in very highly touted, has not seemed to be exactly what, you know, his recruiting ranking indicated. Uh, Coach Harson said that he's probably going to get some reps in the bowl game. And I would just be really surprised if he goes from having a small package of three to four plays in the bowl game to being the starting quarterback next fall. So I think how much he plays in the bowl game is going to tell us a lot about how likely it is that he's actually competing for the starting job next year. Now, granted, that's a long time. People can improve a lot. I just don't see somebody going from having a small package of five plays when they've already been with your team for a season to being the starter the next year. I think TJ, if TJ could get a little bit more consistent, I think he could be a really good quarterback for Auburn. The struggle that TJ had is you were saying that Auburn doesn't need just a game manager. They need a game changer. But honestly, in the games, so TJ played against Georgia State. Obviously, he had the drive that won us the game. We've said all along, that doesn't really care. I mean, that's not the talent he's going to be playing. You can't watch that and say, like, oh, this dude's a baller. In the game against Alabama, he played an entire half where he was not injured. And so I feel like that's fair. I'm also not going to grade the guy. Just like I'm saying, it doesn't count in the game where he was playing Georgia State. I'm also not going to count it against him when he has a bum ankle in the Iron Bowl in the second half. That's not fair because that's not how he's actually playing. So first half of the Iron Bowl, you see, he was, he struggled to not, I mean, like game manager is making like the right decisions. I felt like at times he was not making the right decisions. Like he was holding on to the ball for way too long, going through his progressions way too many times. Like it was just very slow. It didn't seem like he was up with the pace of the game. If he's able to get up with the pace of the game, then I think, I mean, he has a rocket of an arm. And if he's able to hit some accurate passes and get rid of the ball a little bit quicker, then that's a whole different quarterback than who we saw in the first half of the Iron Bowl. So I'm not down that T.J. Finley couldn't improve to become a starting quarterback. But if T.J. stays at the level where he's been, I don't see him being a game-changing quarterback. Holden, again, we don't know how... I mean, it's hard to see a guy coming out of high school unless they're just like like Bryce Young. Everybody knew that that guy was going to be a baller. So Holden is not as highly touted as Bryce Young, but he could definitely be a solid quarterback option. And I think we're just going to have to see, you know, how is he able to handle the college game? Uh, is he able to make those good decisions? And at the end of the day, it may be that if Holden is just making those game manager decisions and is not a game changer either, but he gets the ball out quicker because the, in the Iron Bowl, there were multiple times where Auburn was in field goal range and it's third and eight and TJ held on. It wasn't like it was a quick sack. Like it was a total coverage sack and he's getting us out of field goal range and that's changing the game because you're going to be able to kick those field goals. And those are plays that beat you. And that's the play that a game manager is trying to avoid because he's saying, I'm not going to be changing the game by, you know, running around, doing whatever Bo Nix was able to do when he was having one of his good games. But I'm also not going to take this sack on third and eight and have us out of field goal range. So I really think, honestly, it's going to come down to who makes the better decisions. Um, 
because right now it doesn't seem – I mean, TJ's talent is not elite, I wouldn't say. I mean, his accuracy is not elite. I think his – I mean, his the velocity and the spin and the zip he has on the ball is very, very impressive. Like, his ball just looks like a really good throw. Like, he looks like a really solid quarterback. But if you can't hit the receiver, it really doesn't matter. So, if TJ is able to get the accuracy up, is able to get his decisions made a little bit quicker, he has the potential to be a really, really good quarterback. TJ could go to the NFL. If he improved in those two areas, TJ could potentially play in the NFL. The problem is, TJ's not a true freshman that was playing last year making those mistakes. He's played college football for a couple seasons and is still making those mistakes. So is he able to make that step? Demetrius, is he going to be able to throw? I mean, that's the biggest question, I think. Everybody that sees him in practice, you know, in preseason when people were allowed to see practice, were basically saying, like, he might be able to run, but he can't throw the ball. Um, and that's not the Horson style of offense. And then Holden, is he able to play like he did in high school? Because the talent's going to be a lot different. So a lot of question marks. I also think we'll know a lot more if we how hard they go after a transfer portal quarterback. And if they go and get somebody that's not Keaton Slovis or uh, Cameron, like, if they're going for a lower-level guy, that doesn't say that they have a lot of confidence in either Holden or TJ. If they stick with the peop- guys on the roster, I think that might be a good sign that they think they can improve TJ Demetrius or groom Holden in the short time to be able to play. So, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I definitely think that I definitely think we're getting a quarterback in the transfer portal. I think that that is a priority that this staff has that we are going to bring in at least one quarterback. Now, whether that is a higher level guy that has the potential to start or if it's the kind of guy that will not play, I think that remains to be seen. But, you know, like the TJ Finley acquirement, like we never wanted TJ Finley to start a game when we got him like on campus. Like he, the goal when we brought him in was not oh, we want this guy to compete for a starting position. No, that, that we wanted him to be the backup because we said if Bo Nix goes down, we want TJ Finley to be the guy that comes in. And flash forward a season, Bo Nix did go down, TJ Finley did come in, and we ended up losing. But the thing is, you know, South Carolina and Alabama were both competitive games with TJ Finley in, whereas Grant Loy is in those games, we lose by a couple more touchdowns. So the thing is, if we could have had you know, maybe a slightly better option than TJ Finley to be the backup, then yeah, we probably could have won those games. But the the fact of the matter is we brought him in to be a backup and as a precautionary thing. And that's the same thing we're going to do now. If we either bring in a quarterback that we're like, okay, we want this guy to compete for a starting job, or we're going to bring in somebody that is like, okay, we just need another quarterback in the room in case people start getting hurt. And that's okay. Because the thing is, if you bring in if you bring in a guy like Keaton Slovis or Cameron Ward, you can look at their stats, you can look at their tape, and you can say, okay, this guy is a power five starting quarterback. Now, if you bring someone in and it's like, I'm, I'm just going to pick a random school. If you pick someone from Temple or like Bowling Green or someone like that and you get a transfer, chances are you can look at their tape and be like, okay, this guy doesn't look that good. Like this guy looks okay, he looks fine, but he doesn't look like a real game changer. And those are the kind of guys where you're like, okay, he's going to be a depth piece He's another guy to have in the quarterback room, but he's not going to be the guy. So if we bring in someone like that, I expect Holden to get the starting job. 
if we bring in someone that is a little bit more high target, high profile with more of a resume, I expect that guy to start. But personally, I think it's either Holden or a transfer. I don't think TJ or Demetrius will start uh, in 2022 unless there unless there are some injuries. But we'll see about that. No, I don't and, think Demetrius is going to start. But I I would not be surprised at all if TJ was in the running for the starting quarterback position especially if they can't get a good transfer in. I could see him being in the running, but the thing is, it's almost like if if Holden doesn't start again in a QB competition against TJ, I will be a little disappointed because I, I, I think TJ is okay, but I just don't really see TJ developing the parts of his game that need development enough to be a good starting quarterback in the SEC West. So I think that it, and also I feel like Holden's going to have a little bit more grace when he makes a mistake because they're like, okay, he's a true freshman. But TJ's going to be a junior at that time. So it's like, if TJ and Holden are making the same mistakes and they're very neck and neck, I say that you should give the benefit of the doubt to Holden because he's he's the true freshman, you know? Now, if TJ's making, if Holden's making a lot of mistakes where he's turning the ball over and TJ's making mistakes where he's taking bad sacks, it's like, okay, that's a different story because you're like, okay, Holden's being a liability. TJ is just taking sacks, but he's not turning the ball over. But the thing is, if they have the exact same problems on very similar levels, like you go with the younger guy that has more upside because the junior that's been making the same mistakes for three straight years probably isn't going to do anything. Yeah, they probably aren't going to change those habits. They're going to be exactly. making those same mistakes in the Alabama game, whereas the true freshman you hope by the Alabama game is making new mistakes. And that's definitely that's a horse in line. I mean, he says all the time, I'm tired of seeing these mistakes. I'm ready to start seeing some new mistakes. Basically saying, I've gotten past that. And now that I've gotten past that, I make a new kind of mistake. So no, I agree with you. I just uh I think it's hard to say yet because we I mean, we haven't seen Holden. Holden was playing four A Georgia high school football. Mm-hmm. And that's so different than the SEC West that like I mean Nobody saw Demetrius Davis coming in and being the six-string quarterback. You know, like, no one saw that coming. So it's really hard. Also, I think people also – a lot of recruiting analysts are higher on Holden's ability to step in and play in the SEC than they were in Demetrius, not necessarily from his high school tape, but just from going to camps and stuff. Because, I mean, you can go to a camp and you can see somebody's arm talent and say, okay, doesn't really matter – who they were playing against, they would have played well. And I think that Demetrius was definitely a running threat, and you can't show that on 7-on-7. And so people were not super hype about him in the recruiting circles because when he was going to these 7-on-7 things and playing the quarterback position, he he wasn't exactly showing out the way that Holden was. Yeah, and on the other hand, Holden is not a running threat in the least. So it's kind of like when he's in the seven on seven, he's in his element, whereas Demetrius right. is much more at his best playing 11 on 11 tackle football where he can be elusive and all that. But the but, thing is in Harson's offense, yeah, you need the quarterback more to be throwing the football than running the ball. Like it's nice if you're able to have somebody that can do both, but if you can't throw the ball in this offense, it's not like the Gus offense where Nick Marshall can run it every single play and we throw the ball less than 10 times in four games. Like if you tried to throw the ball less than 10 times with the talent we have now and the offense that we're running now, you would absolutely move nowhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be 
hard to watch. Also, people forget that 2013 offensive line, yes, Nick Marshall was very good. Trey Mason was very good. The reason they didn't end up going and doing anything else is because they didn't have a dominant offensive line like that. If you go back and watch those 2013 games, you could literally drive the Auburn equipment truck through some of those holes. I mean, they were gaping holes. It was incredible to watch. The offensive line, I don't care who comes in. There's a transfer this year. The odds that the offensive line is going to be able to produce holes like that is slim to none. Alabama has all five stars on their offensive line, and they weren't able to do that this year. Georgia has all five stars on their offensive line. They weren't able to do that this year. It is really difficult to get an offensive line that can just absolutely move people out of the way. They had all, that offensive line had multiple NFL players for Auburn, including like all pro NFL players. Like to be an all pro NFL offensive lineman, you have to be really good. So I think the expectation that Auburn can go back and do that with Demetrius Davis, like that was a once in a generation type thing. It was almost like having the Cam Newton of offensive lines. I mean, they were just some mean, mean dudes. And nobody really talks about that because everybody sees Nick Marshall, you know, running for the touchdown or Trey Mason running for this or that. There are not many teams that when I mean, think about it. In that Iron Bowl, the 2013 Iron Bowl, before the Sammy Coates touchdown, they're running their two-minute offense, and we threw the ball twice. Okay, how many times have you ever seen that? Ever. Like, you don't turn on the NFL with some of the best offensive lines ever, and people in their two-minute offense are running the ball. That's how confident we were. We had a better chance of running the ball up the middle and getting 10 yards and getting a first down than we did throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. And so for people to go back and say, oh, we need to go back to the 2013 team, it's like, well, yeah, everybody and their brother would absolutely love to have an offensive line like that. But if you don't have an offensive line like that, you can't have a quarterback like that. They made him basically look really good. Because all these – every I just don't understand. Everybody says that they would rather have Nick Marshall than Cam Newton as their quarterback. And I'm like, Nick Marshall went to the CFL as a corner. Not as a quarterback, a cornerback. Cam Newton went to the Super Bowl and won MVP of the NFL as a quarterback. Do you know how big the discrepancy is in not making the Canadian League and being the NFL MVP as a quarterback? I literally saw somebody on Twitter today say, I would rather have Nick Marshall than Cam Newton as a quarterback. And he was dead serious. That's just not that's not it. I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can even argue that in the least. The guy was not he he was the beneficiary. Think about this. The running back that he was playing next to was a Heisman Trophy candidate. The offensive line literally had two NFL Pro Bowlers on it. Okay. And another guy that probably would have been a really good guy in the NFL who blows his back out lifting weights getting ready for it so you've got to like you literally had three potential nfl pro bowlers on the offensive line and then one guy that gets hurt yeah you're going to be really good because nfl teams don't have three pro bowlers on the offensive line because of the way the draft system like that was just a ridiculous offensive line that auburn lucked into and then we lucked into having trey mason heisman trophy candidate running back and then next to him, you have Nick Marshall, who's just elite speed and just enough throwing that you can call him a quarterback. 
So to say we're going to run that offense with Demetrius Davis, I'm just like, that's not the personnel that we have right now at all. Yeah, and also, like, you, you, caught, you caught lightning in a bottle with 2013. Like, you had a fantastic offensive line. You had fantastic running backs. You had a system that hadn't really hit college football yet. In the read option, it was revolutionary, the RPO. That, that was very new. And you had a quarterback that was just really fast and didn't turn the ball over a ton. But the thing, like, I think Nick Marshall's best season. And in 2014, he was a, I mean, he was a decent passer. I mean, he was a decent passer in 2014. But, like, he, his completion percentage was, like, 61% which is not that good. Like, I mean, it's just, it's really not. And he had a running, like, both years, and people, you know, everyone talks about Trey Mason. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, Trey Mason got invited to New York, great running back, absolutely, he's a great running back. Cameron Artis Payne was arguably just as good with a worse offensive line. If you put Cameron Artis Payne on that 2013 team, he does the exact same thing Trey Mason does. He had a worse line in 2014, and he had 1,600 yards. 1,600 yards? That is really difficult to do. For for comparison, Tank Bixby had right at 1,000 this season. And Tank Bixby's a good back. But, like, Cameron Artis Payne was an extraordinary back. He also had Corey Grant both those years who had an NFL career. So he's got two running backs both years that NFL careers. I mean, he got – Nick Marshall got really lucky with the system he was in. I really love Nick Marshall. I think he is a really fun player to watch. And statistically, if you look at what he accomplished, the teams that he was a part of, all that, yes, he has the quote-unquote resume to be in the argument as a top-five quarterback in Auburn history. But if you look at talent-wise, like talent, at playing the quarterback position, you put an average team and put these quarterbacks on the team, He's behind a lot of other guys in Auburn history, but uh, the bit of a rabbit trail there. But well, here's the thing: for the people that still want Demetrius to play, even if he can't throw, what college football team have you seen in the last? I'm going to say even in the last ten years, other than Auburn in 2013, that has run an offense that is not the triple option that throws it that little and is successful. Even if you count the triple option in there. All the people always say, oh, somebody should run the triple option in a big-time school. Okay, Army and Navy don't win anything. I don't, like, tell me the last time Army or Navy went to uh, New Year's Six Bowl. Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech ran the triple option and did make a New Year's Six Bowl one time. One time. Okay, so we have the triple option, and then we have Auburn in 2013 with, as we've said, extenuating circumstances as the two teams that have made New Year's Six Bowls without throwing the ball effectively, that's not a recipe to win. Like, you're not going to build your team around two teams in the past 10 years had a New Year's Six appearance. Like, that's just not the winning recipe. And so if he can't throw, it doesn't matter how good he is at running. He should go and be a running back because that's what running backs do is just run the ball and not throw it. So... I agree. I think I hope Demetrius is able to be successful and I would love nothing more than Demetrius be able to learn how to throw the ball and become Russell Wilson and Austin Davis have an awesome story about coaching Russell Wilson and then taking and creating Russell Wilson Jr. But I think it's really hard to do that. Like if anybody could just 
take somebody that can't throw and make them an NFL prospect throwing the ball, like they won't be as the quarterback. They won't be a quarterback coach for very long because they'll be a head coach. Yeah, and the thing is, if it was easy to do, then every single quarterback in the NFL would be a guy that can run a 4-4-4-5-40 because the thing is, ideally, if you can have a quarterback that can throw like Tom Brady and run like Michael Vick, you want that. Like, that's really that's really advantageous for an offense, but the thing is, it is just really, really difficult to do. And so... There's really only two in the NFL right now that can run and throw. I mean, it's Lamar Jackson and Cam Newton. Kyler Murray. Okay, yeah, Kyler. Sorry, I forgot about Kyler. And Cam can't really run that well anymore. Or or throw that well. Yeah, I mean, but in Cam's prime, he could do it. But the thing and Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson really doesn't run much. Like scrambles. But like even like if Russell Wilson was not as mobile as he is, he'd still be an NFL quarterback. No doubt. But the thing is, those guys are running like four six, four seven, which is good. But they're not running. I mean, Demetrius is quick. Like he is. He's like Kyler. Like yeah, he could play another position and not be the slowest person. Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, they scramble, but they really scramble because their arm is so deadly that people are respecting their passing game more than their running game, and they just have wide open lanes. Like when have and you, you seen can't Patrick put a QB Mahomes? Spy on them. Yeah, when have you seen Mahomes or Russell Wilson like hitting a juke move on somebody and taking it eighty yards? Like. They don't do that. Kyler does that. So you literally have Lamar and Kyler and Cam when he was in his prime. So, like, these people are paid millions and millions of dollars to try and find these quarterbacks that can do it, and they've been able to find two. Exactly. And it's, yeah, so it's very difficult to have a QB that can do all of the above. And hopefully Demetrius can develop with his bowl practice and in the spring, and hopefully he can get to that point, but... I just I just don't know if I can see it, but we'll see. But that was a bit of a rabbit trail, but we can move back to our recruiting discussions. Wheeler, um, what are your – looking at Auburn's class, I want you to give me – just give kind of – so this is going to be a four – kind of like a four-player option. So I want you to pick one guy on the offensive and defensive side of the ball that you think will be the – like uh, – like that you think will be like the, one of the best people in the class that you think could start early, and then another guy that's kind of like a sleeper pick on both sides of the ball that you think will really have a good career at Auburn. All right, so on the offensive side, I'm going to go with receiver for both of them. So I think the guy that's going to come in and have the most immediate impact at receiver is going to be Omari Kelly. I think that he is going to be super successful at Auburn because the way that his game is is very much the receiver type that succeeds in Harson's offense. We've seen the guys that are in Auburn's offense that can run routes well are the most successful guys in Harson's offense because the way he sets it up is he, in an ideal world, wants to drop back and have his quarterback go through their progressions and hit the guys, you know, And he has good route trees that got guys open. They just weren't able to catch the ball. Bo even had passes that were hitting guys, which, as we've now established, Bo is a average to slightly above average when he's having a good game quarterback. And he's able to hit these guys. And the offense was clicking. It just wasn't – I mean, it wasn't going anywhere because they weren't catching the ball. Omari, I think, is going to be a guy that's going to bring some hands 
and be able to have good route running. And if you add just a cut, think about it. We had guys that were not able, we were struggling at so many points in the season where John Samuel Schenker is the guy that is going to be open the most. If you add just a couple of receivers that are open and able to catch the ball, the defenses have to account for, this offense is going to bust wide open. So that's why I think Omari is going to be a guy that comes in, makes an instant impact. I think the guy that we should watch for that has a chance to at some point in their Auburn career really bust out and doesn't necessarily have the star rating behind them is Cam Camden Brown. Um, again, super good hands. I feel like Harson. it almost seems like he saw all of the drops and was like, if anything, in a receiver that I'm recruiting, I don't care how many stars they are. I want to make sure that they can catch the ball. You watch this guy. He has lots and lots of good catches. And the thing that I call a good catch is a tough ball to catch, but it's still like, this is going to sound dumb, it's still like a two-handed catch. So it's still like a realistic catch because Auburn's had receivers in the past that can make like a one-handed Odell, like just throw your hand up while your other arm is getting arm-barred by the DB and bring it down. Okay, that's awesome that you caught that, but that does not show, if that's on your tape, like that's lucky. I don't care how good you are. It's lucky that your hand was able to hit the ball just like that. You were able to catch it. I'm talking about catches that are difficult, like balls low when you're coming across the middle and you're able to reach down and grab it, or you're in the corner of the end zone and you're looking over your right shoulder and the ball goes over your left shoulder and you have to shift your head around and bring your two hands and catch it. Like Those are the difficult catches that you see on tape that you're like, okay, that's a difficult catch but it's still a fundamental catch. It's not just like a lucky throw your hands up while you're getting absolutely mugged and see if you can catch it. Because, I mean, a lot of people can just make a lucky catch every now and then with the amount of athleticism. Because everybody that plays receiver in the SEC is just a ridiculous athlete. Like, whether you're good or not, you're a ridiculous athlete compared to normal population. And so you're going to be able to do some just stupid things that, most people are super impressed by because you're just, I mean, you are built different if you're a receiver in the SEC. So yeah, those are my two guys on offense that I really think are going to be able to make an impact. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and go, uh, go for my offense. I do really like what you said. And I do agree. I think Amari Kelly and Camden Brown are both really talented players. Um, Jay Fairs, I think a name to watch, but, my guy, so my kind of instant contributor is four-star running back Damari Alston. I think that Damari is going to slide straight into the role that Sean Shivers had. Uh, obviously, Sean Shivers transferred, went to Indiana. I think that Damari is going to be a guy that gets legitimate carries and gets legitimate snaps on the field. Um, I don't think he'll – I think that it will be an understood running back three kind of spot. I think that Tank and Jarquez have the one and two spot kind of locked up. But I think Damari's going to be able to see the field a lot. And, you know, Sean Shivers, especially against LSU, had a couple plays where it was like, okay, we don't get that first down if he's not on the field. You know, like that was a great play by him. Good job. So I think that Damari can really come in. And it's kind of wide open, that kind of running back three spot. Obviously, if we pick up Trevante Citizen in February, that would be a guy that he'd have to compete with. But as of right now, with how the running back room stands, I think that Damari will be – an instant contributor guy on kind of like those third down obvious passing situations be 
a receiving back uh, and be able to utilize that yards after catch ability that he had. Um, and kind of a sleeper, kind of someone that people aren't as, aren't really talking about as much is three-star tight end Micah Riley Ducker. I'm really excited about him. Uh, he really reminds me a lot of C.J. Uzama, just the way he plays, just kind of the way he runs routes and some of the catches he makes. He really excites me as a tight end. And, you know, like what you were saying with John Samuel Schenker, with the way he gets open – like, John Samuels is really good. Like, he played really well this season. But the thing is, at the end of the day, he is a blocking tight end that had to run routes. Whereas, Riley Ducker is more of a receiving tight end and more of the kind of guy that you see in the NFL. You know, like Travis Kelsey, it's like, yeah, he blocks, and he's an okay blocker, but his strength is catching the football because he's a massive dude. Michael Riley Ducker is that kind of thing. You know, you look at his highlights, he's got some nice blocks, but the thing is, when he runs out and he blocks linebackers and corners in high school, you expect him to win those blocks. And now, granted, he blew some people up in high school, but the thing is, he's probably not going to be blowing people up as much in college because the people are going to be the same size as him. But I think that he'll be able to make some good blocks, but I don't think that he will be as good of a blocker as Schenker or a guy like Spencer Nye or Chandler Cox have been in years past. But I do think that he his route running and catching ability will be the best we've seen in a tight end since CJ Uzama. And obviously I don't think it'll be, I don't think it'll be his freshman season might not be a sophomore season, but I think that once he's kind of in his junior and senior years, I think that he is going to be a really dynamic player for Brian Harson's offense that really likes throwing the ball to the tight end. So I think that those, those offensive guys will be really helpful, but now let's shift our focus to the defensive side of the ball. We, their same question one guy that you think will be more of an instant contributor and one guy that's a little bit more underrated that you're excited about? So my instant contributor is going to be Juco uh, recent signee Jeffrey Imba. This guy is going to – he looks like he is a really good football player, both just in his pictures at the recruiting thing and on his film. I mean, this guy absolutely looks the part. Um Guy coming over from France, played at Independence Community College, and was just dominant. I mean, he was killing it in junior college. Um, I have very little doubt that he's going to struggle to pick up where he left off. I mean, the thing about it is he's just – he almost reminds me of Nick Fairley. Now, I don't know if he's going to have the streak of mean that Nick Fairley had, but Nick Fairley came in from junior college – instant impact at Auburn was probably one of the best defensive linemen we had on the team at that time. And uh, yeah, no, Jeffrey is going to be a big time contributor to this defensive line because the thing is, if we're able to keep the defensive line that we had last year, we got to the point where we had some edge rushers, but the guy that was kind of your plug up the middle hole guy was Tony Fair. And I mean, God loved the guy, but he was not not a pass rusher at all. So if it came down to that, where you had to bring in your big boys because it was, you know, third and four, third and three, you were just giving up the middle. Like you were giving up that they were not going to pass rush. Whereas this guy, I think will still be able to hold his own in the run game, but he'll also be able to be a contributor in uh, the pass rush and getting, you know, some penetration up the middle, not just, holding your own and letting the linebackers make a play, which 
especially with Zacoby McLean being gone, is going to be very helpful to have some uh, some movement along the front. Um, and then kind of my sleeper pick is J.D. Rhyme. Uh, I know that may seem a little ridiculous that he's a four-star, but I don't know how much playing time. I think it depends kind of on how the guys that are on the roster progress, but he has the potential to be a really big-time corner at Auburn, and I think he might be the next in the line of the uh, first-round draft picks that we have at corner. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that, I think that Rhyme especially is a guy that will definitely I, – I see really good things when I watch his – when I watch his tape. I'm really excited about him. Um, and also, just kind of building on what you were saying with uh, Jeffrey – I think that it's, you know, you look at, and we've, we've sung Tony Fair and Marquise Burks' praises on this podcast multiple times for their role that they have played super, super well. Um, and, you know, obviously last year we had Tyrone Truesdale and Daquan Newkirk and just kind of the upgrades that we've had with Burks and Fair and just how they've played has been really nice. But with what you're saying, like, it is true. Like, they're not going to rush the passer. And if it was a pass play, you were like, well, they can do their job on the run plays, but it's like if it's a pass play, their their goal is to make sure that the quarterback doesn't just scramble right up the middle. So they were doing their job, but at the same time, they weren't really rushing. They weren't the asked to do a lot. Exactly. So the bar was not super high on doing their job. Exactly. But I think that Jeffrey is definitely a guy that will be able to cause a lot more havoc for the quarterbacks. And it'll be and the goal is obviously if we can bring back Wooden and Hall. It'll really help having, you know, running the three-man front and being able to get legitimate pressure or bringing a fourth guy and being able to get pressure because those guys will be able to get pressure from the left, the right, and up the middle. So definitely agree with what you're saying there. Um, my instant contributor is Juco safety Marquise Gilbert. Uh, I think especially looking at how, you know, obviously we're, you know, as soon as really the bowl game ends, it'll really be a lot of monitoring with the roster and seeing how like which guys take their COVID year and which guys don't uh, smoke Monday is the guy that I don't expect to take the COVID year. I expect him to play his last snap at Auburn on the 28th against Houston. But I think that Marquise Gilbert is a guy that can step right into that safety role and start day one. And even if he's not taking smoke spot, he'll take by Darius spot uh, as Knighton is leaving as well. So I think that Gilbert is a guy that can really just step right into that safety spot and really cause very little to, if any, drop off in that, uh, in that area of the, of the secondary. So I'm really excited about Marquise Gilbert. And my, my sleeper pick for defense is three-star linebacker Powell Gordon out of Auburn High. This guy, if you look at him, and you look at his rating, you will not be super excited whatsoever. You won't. I mean, that's just the that's just fact of the matter. And if you watch someone's highlight tape, their highlight tape is always going to make them look good. Like, someone is always going to look good if you watch their highlights. Powell Gordon, if you watch him in person, you will be so much more impressed than any highlights you have ever seen. I watched him play against Central, IMG. The guy just – and those are, like, some of the bigger high schools, but the guy just is good. Like, he is just good at the game of football. He has a great nose for the ball, great at rushing the passer, really good at directing the defense around him. Like the guy, I mean, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he got on the field a lot as a freshman or a sophomore, but once he puts some size on and really gets accustomed to the speed of college football, I think that this could be one of the, I think that this guy could, I think that he has the potential to be one of the best players in this class. And I think that if we look back on this three years from now, 
I think that Powell Gordon definitely has the potential to be one of the best guys in this class. He has a great work ethic. I mean, homegrown kid. I'm, I'm expecting really good things from Powell Gordon, and I know that I'm kind of in the minority on that, but I, this guy is just – He's just good at football, and a lot of the time you could be watching him against really good high schools and be like, okay, this guy from Auburn's the best player on the field. So Yeah, and, and that's the Brian Harson kind of way is that, yeah, you look at recruiting rankings for some of the guys, but sometimes when a guy just pops off the page and it's just good, you, you recruit him because at some point you can't just overanalyze like, oh, at camps he can't outrun this guy. He can't, like, there's so much more to football where if you are just good, you're just good. And there's no other way to say it other than you're a good football player. And I think that's very important because, honestly, that's kind of the model that Bruce Pearl has. Yes, Bruce has brought in like Jabari, Isaac, Sharif, all these really highly rated guys. Wendell Green and Zepp Jasper were both guys that Bruce just happened to see that were just good at basketball. And they've actually – I mean – at some point, like, you're just good. It doesn't matter who you're playing against. You're a solid basketball player, and it's really paid off. And so it's – when you're at a place like Auburn, and this might, you know, a lot of people might disagree with this, for football and for basketball, we're not going to be able to be like Alabama where we have a five-star at every single position. Like, unless something dramatically changes at basketball or in football, like – that's just not the kind of school that we're going to be. We're going to be a team that you're going to have to develop some people. And sometimes you're going to have to supplement these five stars with guys that are just good. And so I'm glad to see that Harson is not sticking with the Gus kind of system of, oh, well, if 24-7 doesn't think you're good and it's not going to help my recruiting class, then I'm not necessarily going to take you. Yeah, and I definitely agree. And I think that Auburn is just – I think that Auburn is the kind of school you're kind of seeing that obviously in basketball we can have a year with a five-star. Obviously, Jabari Smith is a five-star. Sharif Cooper is a five-star. But the thing is, we'll, we'll probably just not see under Auburn. We probably won't see them turn into a Kentucky where you're, or a Duke where you're picking up three five-stars in one recruiting class. That's just not the school we are. And the thing is, we can still win. We can still win in the tournament, all that good stuff. We can still win in the tournament without five five-stars. That's fine. With football, though, football, you're not like with Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, and then you've got like, and then you're bringing in Texas and Oklahoma, you got Florida, you got LSU. Like, there are only so many five stars to go around. And Auburn just isn't the school right now to be getting a ton of those five stars. And that's fine. You can still be good without five stars. But as long as Saban and Kirby are there, it's going to be difficult to be bringing in five stars. So you got to find those underrated guys and be able to develop them. But the thing is, if you can put these guys in the league, then that's really going to help you because you're like, okay, look, we can develop these guys and look how good you already are. We can develop you even more, you know, and then put them in the league. So those these kind of guys that are more underrated, if you can develop them and put them in the NFL, it's really going to help you in the future and, you know, when they're actually playing, when they're all developed. So – Definitely agree with that. Uh, this recruiting class, I think that it shaped out pretty nicely. We're going to – I still think we're going to bring in a lot of guys from the portal. Um, you know, there are a couple guys uh, from Oregon that we're looking at, uh, a couple receivers. Jacob Copeland from Florida is a receiver that I, I really want to bring in. I think that he would really help bolster the wide receiver corps, uh, especially with 
whoever we have is going to be new to the system. If you can give him a Jacob Copeland, who is a, you know, good starting wide receiver in the SEC, Kobe Hudson with another year of development under his belt, I think that he could be doing some really good things. Um, so I just think that that'll really help the offense. And that's kind of the, the main guy that I want. But Wheeler, what is your, who is your kind of go-to transfer that out of all the names of any positions, who are you really looking at? And, you know, just breaking right now, one minute ago, Keaton Slovis just committed to Pittsburgh. So Keaton Slovis is off the board. Auburn will not be bringing him in. So obviously the QB kind of recruiting it's kind of Cameron Ward is a guy that we're both kind of really wanting if we're looking for a starter, but you know, Keaton Slovis is not there. So either who is a big time kind of transfer the top name on your, on your list? Yeah, I think Copeland obviously is one of the guys that was high on the list. And then the other guy is, uh, and I'm blanking on his name right now, but the defensive tackle from Oregon, uh, mm-hmm. Because I think if you bring in Jeffrey Imba and you bring in another really high-quality defensive tackle, then, I mean, that's going to change the defense. Because we've seen that a really solid defensive line can change a team. I mean, we've seen some very average Auburn teams be able to stay in games that they had no business being in because the defensive line was just dominant. Um, And I... I think that would help Auburn a lot if they were able to dominate on the D-line and it helps your offensive line because that's who they're going against in practice every day. So I think those are kind of my big guys. Um, and for, the, I, for those wondering, the, uh, the name of the Oregon defensive tackle is Jason Jones. He is a former four-star defensive tackle from Calera, Alabama. Yep, so that's another reason why people think Auburn has a good shot. He's familiar with Auburn. We were high up in his recruitment the first time. Um, obviously different staff was recruiting him. So it'll be intriguing to see if that happens, but I don't know. I'm getting a weird feel at Noble that we are not going to get a, a transfer quarterback. That's going to be of the quality of a starter. I thought that Slovis was kind of the guy that we would get if we were going to get one. And I just, I don't feel great about Cameron Ward. I think if you're, Looking at the system that Harson runs, it's going to be really hard for Harson to recruit somebody like that to come because of all the reasons we mentioned on the rabbit trail. Basically, that's just not the formula that Harson runs. Um, so I don't know. Uh, that's intriguing. I'll, I'm interested to see, but I, I also, knowing Harson, do not think he would be afraid to go get somebody from the group of five level and give him a shot. So. I know we said not Bowling Green and stuff, but there are some dudes, and it's kind of the same way of how Cameron Ward is that just bloomed late. Um, yeah, that I think you could see us go and get. I, I we're not going to go get somebody like Grant Loy who threw more interceptions than touchdowns at the Group of Five level, but I wouldn't be surprised if Harson brings in a Group of Five quarterback that maybe is not being mentioned right now. Uh, he seems to be pretty good at keeping things under wraps, but I, I would not be surprised if we get some random group of five quarterback that absolutely tore it up somewhere this year. Um, and I know everybody's thinking probably of uh, the guy from Western Kentucky that set all those records. He's actually already transferred once and will probably be entering the NFL draft. So uh, what was his name? It was uh, Bailey Zappi. Zappi. Yeah. So can't be Zappi, but someone obviously not the same stats, but 
similar type thing where just absolutely torch group of five football and is moving up. Yeah, and I think that's another thing. It's it, it's like you look at Grant Lloyd. Grant Lloyd didn't tear it up at Bowling Green. You know, I, I think that what what with what I was saying earlier, I probably need to clarify. I don't think that necessarily getting someone from a lower level school means that they're going to be a backup. But it's like if they put up average to bad stats at that school, then it's like okay, you're looking at them for a depth piece. But if they were like okay, sixty five plus completion percentage through for three thousand plus yards you know, good touchdown to interception ratio, then it's like, okay, that's that's kind of believable. But for comparison, if they had Bo Nix's stats at, you know, Temple or somewhere in the Mountain West or, you know, Marshall or whatever, some, you know, lower level school, I think that's kind of like, okay, that guy's probably not going to be a starter. But obviously if they were setting school records or NCAA records, then that's a guy where you can take more of a look at for uh, a potential starting job. But I definitely think that this staff will be pretty active in the transfer portal to just kind of plug plug some of the holes that some of the seniors are leaving. Um, but speaking of seniors, obviously, you know, the transfer portal and the NFL draft are kind of plucking some of Auburn's, uh, both their really good contributors and some of their just average contributors. So right now you've got Roger McCreary, Zacoby McLean, and Brodarius Ham have all uh, declared for the NFL draft. I'm not sure. I don't think Zacoby has officially done it, but uh, he hasn't shown up to a bowl practice, and he has tweeted multiple times how much he loves Auburn and how he played his last game in Jordan-Hare. So Zacoby is Zacoby is declared for the NFL draft in all, but he hasn't made the post yet. Um, and then you've got – you have Amari Harvey, uh, Tayshawn Manning, Ladarius Tennyson. Uh, who else was it? Um, Elijah Cannon and Sean Shivers were uh, the guys that have entered the transfer portal and have left Auburn so far. So none of those guys are really super, super difficult to replace. Ladarius Tennyson and Tayshawn Manning, we've already kind of talked about on the previous podcast, the, the roles that they will leave behind. But I think that the most intriguing names, you know, coming up, are the guys that are going to come back for their COVID year or not. And I think that the two, the three names that mean the most are all on the defensive side of the ball. I think that Owen Papo, Colby Wooden, and Derek Hall are the most important guys that we need to bring back next season. Obviously, Owen, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are saying that Owen's kind of leaning towards staying. He was big, uh, especially on the recruitment of Jeffrey Mabah. He was, you know, talking to him a lot, kind of using himself as a recruiting pitch, like, oh, come play with me. Uh, all that. So if I had to make a prediction right now, I would say that Owen is going to come back. Derek Hall and Colby Wooden, I think, are the two biggest ones for the D line and also the two ones that are the most shaky because both of them have decent draft grades. Uh, I think right now Derek Hall has a third round grade after he played the best game of his career against Alabama against, you know, a first round pick tackle. You know, he, he really bolstered his draft stock. Uh, but then you've got Colby Wooden, obviously one of the highest graded defensive linemen Auburn had, uh, or really that was in the SEC this year. And I think that one of the interesting things to note about Colby Wooden is that his little brother, Caleb Wooden, was in this recruiting class as a three-star safety. So it really kind of reminds me of the uh, the situation with Derek Brown after 2018 when he kind of he had a good draft grade. He had the option to go to the NFL or come back. But his little brother was coming in, and he could kind of 
make the decision if he wanted to just take the money now or if he wanted to come back and get into the first round. And obviously we know Derek Brown came back, played with his brother, ended up being a top 10 pick. So Colby Wooden will be an interesting name to watch. And I believe he, I believe he and Hall have both set their dates for kind of right after the bowl game in that time. So we'll definitely be interested to see what happens with that. But Wheeler, what are your thoughts about the guys that are going to take their COVID year? Do you think we'll have a lot of guys take the COVID year? Do you guys, do you think we'll just kind of have one or two? Or how do you think the whole COVID year situation is going to end up this year? No, I think that we are going to have a lot of guys coming back next year. Um, I think the fact that Harson was able to convince Tank to stay shows that if he really feels like someone's going to be a contributor, he's going to really sell next year as being a big year because I think he also realizes that next year is not another rebuilding year for him. Like this was his rebuilding year and you can't take two of those and that like he's going to have to progress. Now, obviously I don't think the expectation of a national championship is necessarily reasonable for next year, but so it'll be rebuilding, I guess, in, in that way, but it's like, you can't go six and six next year. Yeah. Um, that's not going to be acceptable. You will probably not be fired, but you will definitely be on the hot seat. And it's going to be really hard to keep a bunch of players if you're on the hot seat with the transfer portal. So, no, I think we'll be able to keep a lot of uh, a lot of our guys uh, for this upcoming class. I just don't – I don't see any of those names necessarily being super high on draft boards other than – wouldn't and I think it's gonna I think that they are gonna sell the Derek Brown playing with his little brother becoming a first round pick, you know, top five pick to the nth degree. I mean, they are absolutely gonna tear that up. And I think I think it's actually like as an un well, as a biased person, I think it would be good for him. Like outside of just a recruiting pitch, like I really do think that it would be better for him to come back to Auburn for one more year. Every single guy on Auburn's defense that has done that, it has worked out for so far. Like there has not been a single person that came back to Auburn and their draft grade went down. So I, I just don't see why you would try and risk it where you've seen several guys on your team leave Auburn early as a risk and it be, you know, not great, i.e. Christian Tut. Yeah, you know, Christian Tut was a was a tough situation. But I think if you look at a guy like if you look at a guy like Wooden, you know, he redshirted in twenty nineteen. So he was still in that room. He saw Derek, he saw Marlin and all that. Um, twenty twenty, he was our best defensive lineman as a redshirt freshman. This year he was our best defensive lineman again. Really took good strides as a great, great uh NFL frame that they really like. But it's just kind of like you've gotten better from, you know, you've gotten better progressively every year you've been here. So it's like, if you take another jump, like you've made every single year, you'll be in the first round. So I definitely think that's the selling pitch, but at the same time, you know, this is, this is an argument that I think held a little bit more weight in previous years. You know, it was kind of like, it's tough to turn down a couple million dollars in the NFL. You know, it's tough to turn that down and risk staying in college. But the thing is with all the NIL stuff, kind of like okay well if you can if you know if you can still make you know 700 grand it's like that's not as much as you would make in the nfl but like 700 grand is nothing to nothing to scoff at so if you can still make some nice money in college and then be working to get in the first round i think that's a really good uh a really good selling point that i think that auburn staff will be using not to mention the 
the amount of more money you get being a first round pick and the difference in the way you're treated when you get to the NFL, like it's just a, if you go in the fourth round, like you are still fighting to be on the team. If you get injured, they're not going to like nurse you back to health, make sure you're good. Before, like they treat you so different and it can change the way your career goes based off of if they treat you as a first rounder or a guy that is just trying to make the team. Mm-hmm. So you make a lot more money as a first rounder and your career has a better chance of succeeding. Not to mention if you have a couple of years where you're not playing great and you get cut, going and picking up a free agent that used to be a first rounder versus a guy that used to be a fifth rounder, it's going to be different for a GM. Because even yeah. if your talent is the exact same, the news story for that GM, former first round pick gets picked up as a free agent. Sounds way better than former fifth-round pick gets picked up as a free agent who hasn't done anything in the league. So being a first-rounder, yes, it's hard to turn down the money, but it's like if you're able to get up to that first-round grade, like it really is a better situation for you, even though you had one last year of NFL earning potential, especially now that you have more earning potential than just a scholarship. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I definitely think that that'll be – some of the points that they're they're selling guys like Wooden and uh and Hall on, if you can bring those guys back, I mean, then all of a sudden it's like okay, the defense. All of a sudden, like if you can bring those guys back, the defense improves in pretty much every area except for corner. So it's like corner, like I don't and expect Keontae. Yeah, but see, the thing is, so, so obviously, I don't think Keontae Scott's going to be better than Roger McCreary. Keontae Scott is the the JUCO transfer. I don't expect uh, Nehemiah Pritchard or Jalen Simpson to grow into what McCreary was this year in one year. So I think that the corners will take a bit of a downgrade. But if you look at linebacker, like, yeah, Zacoby was really good. I think Owen's better than Zacoby. I think that when Owen is playing, I think that he is better than Zacoby. So if Owen stays healthy the whole season, I don't think that the – I think that arguably the top linebacker improves. Chandler Wooten, Wooten? I think that as the second linebacker, if he doesn't take his COVID year, then it might be a little bit of a downgrade. Because Wooten's better than Steiner or, you know, the alternative, you know, Cam Riley or, uh, yeah, or Willis, you know, all those guys. So I think that obviously if, I think that if Wooten leaves, I think we'll look for a linebacker in the portal. But if we can get a portal linebacker that's around the same as Wooten, and then you have Owen that is arguably a little bit better than Zacoby. All of a sudden, the linebackers are really very similar. Defensive line is better because, I mean, you'll have, you'll have Mabai, you'll have Harris, uh, you'll have um, Wooden and Hall that are better versions of themselves. So I think that the D-line will improve. Secondary, I mean, yeah, you lose McCreary, but, I mean, with Marquise Gilbert, I think Marquise Gilbert will be better in pass coverage than Smoke Monday was. He'll still have Zion Puckett. So I think that really the secondary won't change that much. So I think the defense has the potential to be better than it was this year if you can kind of bring in the right guys. And now offensively, it really depends on the offensive line. But, I mean, if offensive line is fine and you can have a quarterback that can imitate a little bit of what Bo Nix did and your offensive line stays the same, if not better, then talent-wise – your team will be better than it was this past season. And this past season, you should have won eight or nine games. So I think the thing is, if Harson can get the right guys in, and if you win nine games and you can make some noise, you know, obviously you don't want to just win nine games. 
But if you get here the first year, you win six games, have a top 15 recruiting class. The next year, you win nine games. If you can somehow, if you can beat one of the rivals, you can beat Penn State when they come to our place. You know, you can put, you know, a top 10 win like we did last year. You know, those kind of things, they matter. You know, if you can have two top 10 wins on your resume in your first two years of coaching, you've improved by three wins, you bring in another top 15 recruiting class, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is moving in the right direction. Yeah. You know, so I think that that would be really critical for Harson if he can get some some of these guys to stay and win some football games next season. I think that the fan base will really be really be behind him. You know, I think the fan base, the boosters, you know, the upper echelon of the the Auburn, the Auburn elite, I think will be in his corner. And I think that would be really critical for him as a coach to be able to achieve that level. Yeah, no, I agree. So I think that kind of that kind of wraps up our football talk for this week's podcast. Uh, we can kind of shift our focus to our basketball corner. Um, the initial report that's been coming out the past few days is that Alan Flanagan is on schedule in his return. He is currently a game time decision to come back against Murray State and make his season debut. Um, obviously, Flanagan led the team in points, rebounds, and steals in 2020 and was second in assists behind uh, NBA pick Sharif Cooper. Um, Auburn has moved up to 12 in the polls after a win against St. Louis. So, we either just kind of give us your perspective on, first of all, just kind of like the news and how Flanagan will insert back into the lineup and how we'll ease him back in. When do you think he'll return to the starting lineup? How do you think Auburn played against St. Louis? And just kind of walk us through your emotions during that game. Yeah, so I think we'll start off with talking about Allen. I think if he's able to go, I see him playing five to ten minutes. Ten would kind of be high. I would expect, I don't know, I think five to ten, depending on how the game is going. I've seen a lot of people on social media say that this is a perfect game to bring Allen back in because uh, they think it's an easy opponent because Murray State doesn't sound like they would be very good. Murray State might be the best team we've played. I mean, really, they might be one of the better teams we've played this season, including Syracuse and Loyola Chicago and Connecticut. Now that Connecticut has their player uh, hurt, so at least top four in, I would say at least top three actually. Yeah, I agree. they are currently rated like thirty fourth in the net, and for context, Kentucky is thirty second in the net. So, like Murray State's not a joke of a team. They they're not a big time name, but they're a big time basketball team coming. If in Murray State Auburn. wins this game, it would not be outside the realm of possibility for them to be ranked next week. Yeah, no, I mean they. This is going to be a quad one win if Auburn gets this win. Like, this is going to be a solid win. And if you lose this game, it's not going to be like, oh, when we're coming to tournament time, will they have a, a bad loss to Murray State? The only situation in which this is viewed as a bad loss is if, one, Murray State just absolutely tanks the rest of the season, or if you're trying to compete for a one or two seed. But other than that, like, if you're going to be a – four or a five seed, but six. I mean, I could see any, this was weird basketball season. I could see us being anywhere from a one to an eight seed, like legitimately. And the team being the exact same, just depending on how close games go. So 
all that being said, this is a really tough game for Allen Flanagan to come back into because this is not going to be a cakewalk game where the game is going to be slow. This is going to be a high-intensity knockout, drag-out, really good basketball game. And if Auburn plays the way that they did against St. Louis tomorrow night at 5 o'clock, they're going to get beat. Like, Auburn did not play well against St. Louis at all. It was really impressive the way that they were able to come back at the end of that game. They weren't able to quit. They were able to overcome uh, a really difficult road environment. For the people that don't know, I think a tweet that showed it the best that I saw, I can't remember who it's from or I would give credit to them. The tickets to the Auburn-St. Louis game were going on StubHub for $150. The next most expensive St. Louis basketball ticket this season on StubHub was going for $8. So that shows how important this game was to St. Louis people. Like, this is not the Auburn basketball of old who people are coming because they've seen us in football. Like, Auburn is a ranked basketball team that went to a Final Four, is talked about on ESPN, has game day, has NBA prospects. I'm not saying that we're Kentucky, but, like, in this non-con thing, when you go on the road to these teams, like, this is a massive game to them. So even if it's not to your players, it is to the other team. And I thought you saw that. I think the reason that Auburn got out-rebounded so bad is, I mean, St. Louis really wanted this game. Obviously, Auburn fought. They wanted the game. But they really didn't start imposing their will until about nine minutes left in the second half of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I think it was an impressive win, but it was... Impressive for the fight, not for the play, if that makes sense. The play was poor, other than the in the comeback time. Um, and Bruce also, you know, admitted that some of it was his fault by not going to the set uh, that they ran in those last nine minutes, where they basically were doing the high ball screen pick and roll, where they brought in Leo Berman and then they put Jabari out on the the wing. And they would bring Wendell in. And so you'd spread the floor, and he'd either kick it to Jabari, uh, Leor, or he'd throw it to Walker. And, I mean, it was a thing of, like, he said that that's what they ran to kind of take it away in the second half against St. Louis last time we played in the Mike Slav Invitational. But the players that we have right now are much better than the players that were playing in that game. Um, And so, I mean, you saw it. There were a couple of times where – uh, Okoro for their team would go running out to cover Jabari on the three off of a fake pass and they would leave Walker all by himself like Walker was basically dunking from the free throw line because he had a free shot at the basket I mean he was wide open Wendell Green had an amazing game Wendell mm-hmm. and Walker both had their best games now maybe not rebounding but Wendell's not going to be a rebounder for you like he can give good minutes on defense where he's annoying the other point guard. But if you're having a bad rebounding day, you're not going to look at Wendell and be like, what are you doing out there? I mean, he's the smallest dude on the floor. He's not a rebounder. Walker, he was really struggling. He was getting bodied by Okoro at sometimes for the rebounds, but also I felt like he was kind of getting a little bit unlucky with his positioning. Mm-hmm. His offensive game was impeccable and it his was. blocks. His blocks, and that also makes it difficult to rebound. That's something that people don't really think about when you're when you've got all of your team running to the hoop when a guy's you know taking it to the basket and they're all trying to get the block. 
which I would prefer they go for the block and keep the score from happening and causing it to be a rebound. But I think Auburn's going to be out-rebounded more than other teams because we've got two, three guys going for the block. And when you do that, you're not in rebounding position necessarily. Yeah. So I think it was it was good. Um, it was odd. We got out-rebounded really bad, but we didn't get like outscored on second-chance opportunities very, very poorly which is probably the only reason they were able to win the game. Because if they were getting killed by all those rebounds, then, I mean, it would have been a blowout. So, yeah, going to have to play better to win uh, tomorrow, but good solid win, good fight out of the team. Well, I think the fact that it'll be at home will also matter a little bit more, especially with this team. They really get juiced up at home. But the thing that I really like about this team is I feel like Auburn in previous years, you know, Bruce always sells the yard underdogs, you know, all that, the scrappy kind of mindset that they weren't recruited by some of these higher level programs. But the thing is, it's like those guys would, they would do that. And you would see that when you play the Kentuckys and when you play some of the top teams in the SEC, you could see that kind of scrappy mindset. But when you played a team that was not, that was kind of like the St. Louis or, you know, that kind of team, you wouldn't really see it, you know? It was almost like the players would go in expecting to win, and we would always lose a couple games like that where it was you would go to someone else's place. Like it was UCF last year. It was NC State the year we made the Final Four. And it was teams that you were better than, but they kind of punch you in the mouth to start the game, and then you just never could really fight back into the game. And so this team has shown it multiple times where they get hit in the mouth early against a team that's not as good as them, the team has everything going. And I mean, the thing is, like, St. Louis, their crowd was into it. I mean, their crowd was locked in. They were hyping them up. St. Louis players were hyped. And Auburn, you know, scratched, clawed, did whatever they needed to to get back in the game, and you ended up getting a win. And those are obviously the wins that don't necessarily look bad if you lose, but they look good if you win, you know? And while Auburn might not need that for to get into the tournament, it'll help with seeding, and it'll kind of help if you're – kind of like if you're going to be a five or a four seed, it'll help you get to a four. And really, you know, that's kind of a, you know, a lot of people might not think about this, but the 5-12 matchup is the most upset ridden seed matchup in the NCAA tournament. So it's really nice to be able to get to that top four seed where it almost essentially guarantees you a win in the first round if you play up to your standards. So I think that'll be that this win will really help us come March if we can kind of keep healthy and all that. But I was really happy with what I saw with this team, especially with Walker Kessler has had a fantastic, fantastic three-game stretch. And I'm expecting him to pick up right where he left off against Murray State. Um, I'm excited. And had two excited to see massive him. free throws. Yeah. Right, that can't be understated because people love to kill guys for missing free throws, <clears throat> but Walker needs props. Yeah. Because he's 7-1, shooting 50% free throws on the season. And it comes down to the games on the line and we really need the points, and he drains both of them. And that changes the game. I mean, so yeah. much you look, other team, their big man, he missed it. That was it when it comes right down to it, the thing that won Auburn the basketball game at the end of the day, compared to them, is Auburn's big man made free throws and theirs didn't. Yeah. And that that matters. Things like that matter. And wins like that matter. Even in the psyche of the team, because mm. now they're down 12 13 and they were able to come back and almost win against Connecticut. 
And if you come back and you almost win that game, it's still a good fight, but it starts to get a little bit harder when that happens again because you think we're going to fight all the way back and then we're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. This almost, I think, gave the team the confidence of, okay, we've gotten better. We can still seal a game. We can win a close game. And that's going to start adding up for them. And I love the swag of this team. This mm-hmm. is it's the most interesting thing. This is Bruce's, like, most – this is the most cocky I've ever seen Bruce, but not in like a, we're not going to work hard way, but in a like, no, like we're good and y'all can play well and still beat us, but we're good. And you we're know? better I mean, than you, you know, yeah, like if you beat us, on, it's because we didn't play our we best We didn't play game. well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he got on uh, Wendell's Instagram live the night before the game and was like, we're going to go kick that a up at St. Louis. Like you, that's not something you normally see Bruce do. And then the guys after the game, you know, the students had been riding them the whole game and yelling at them. As soon as the game's over, they come back out of the locker room to go talk trash to the students. And, you know, there's nobody there. And it's Katie and Wendell and Jabari. And they're like, oh, we wanted to talk to somebody. Where y'all at to talk? Y'all been talking all night. Why don't we talk now? Oh, it's an empty bleacher. (laughs) So... I mean, it's just hilarious. Like, it's funny stuff like that, but it's also stuff that's like, they know they're good. Yeah. And when you know you're good, but you still work hard, that's the best thing. Because you, you're going to win a lot of games by just knowing we're good. Like, we're going to come back. It doesn't matter that we're down 12 right now. Like, we hadn't been playing well for the past five minutes, and y'all went on a run. Like, we'll be back. So, yeah. I'm excited. I am too, and I think that's a good point where it's like, they're not necessarily cocky. They're not necessarily saying like, oh, we're better than y'all because we're 10 and one and y'all are eight and three. It's they're saying like, no, I wake up at six o'clock and I get a thousand shots up every day. I put more work in than you do. And I'm a better basketball player than you are because I put yes. the work in. And it really translates because and like what you were saying with the comebacks, like we came back, we were 13 down on the road in a hostile environment. If you're down 15 at home, Wendell hits a three, all of a sudden the jungle's going to be into it. The guys are going to be hyped up. They're going to feel like they're winning, you know? So when they feel that they can come back from 13 down on the road, I mean, there aren't going to be many deficits in SEC play where you're just going to be like, this feels, you know, unattainable. And obviously, it's basketball. We're going to have some losses where we do not look good and we get beat and we just get the game handed to us and we just lose by 15. 20 whatever that's gonna happen the final 14 lost a game by 30 in Rupp Arena like it's gonna happen it's college basketball good teams always get blown out when it's a normal year like obviously last year you didn't see the national championship teams get blown out they didn't have to play real road games they played games with 20 percent capacity their college basketball season was not normal if you look at all the past years these teams lose to good like you're just going to lose sometimes. If you play in a stacked conference, you're going to have games where the other team can't miss and you're having an off day and you're going to lose, and that's fine. But the thing is, winning these kind of games, it's going to matter later in SEC play, and it's going to matter in the tournament when you can play close games. You know, like Obviously, you like to win. You like to win big, all that. But when you win a close game, it's good because when you play a close game in a game that you really have to win, your players have been there before, and they're not freaking out because they're not – they they can it's almost like Walker Kessler when he was shooting those free throws he didn't really have anything to look back to you know 
he was looking back to in practice when he's hitting the free throws so that the team doesn't have to run, that kind of stuff. But if it's, you know, we're playing Alabama, the game's tight, Walker's got to hit the free throws, he's going to look back to against St. Louis when he needed to hit two free throws and he hit them. And it's that kind of thing. You can remember a game where you made your free throws in the big moment and it was good and you can remember that. Whereas other people, if you never have a close game, you don't know what to do in a close game, and that's when you make mistakes, and that's why a lot of times you'll see the good team lose in the close game, and they'll lose to the veteran team that has played close games before because they have more experience in that area. So I definitely think that's a really good thing for the team, and I really think that this game against St. Louis was a really good really good test for our team. But you look at it now with Allen coming back, you know, you ease him back into the game, and all of a sudden you're looking at it, Auburn's going to be playing 11 guys. I mean, you know, you've got Jalen Williams. He's still going to be playing. Chris Morris, Chris Moore, he's still going to be playing. Jabari Smith, he's still going to be playing. Walker, KD, Zepp, Wendell. Obviously, Allen will be coming in. Dylan, Devin, and Leor. All those guys are still going to play. Like, and, you know, we talked about Leor at the beginning of the season when he started playing, and we said, if he can get to the point where he feels confident, he can give us good minutes. He got to the point where he feels confidence. He's been giving us great minutes when he comes in. Now you look at it, and you know, before the St. Louis game, Devin had a, a real, probably the best stretch of basketball that he has played at Auburn. And he had a tough game against St. Louis, but we'll see if he bounces back against Murray State. But the thing is, Devin is a starter. Like, if Allen comes in, Devin's still going to get playing time. Leor's yeah. not a starter, and Leor will probably never start a game at Auburn. It would not surprise me if he never started a game at Auburn. But as a bench player, he's given us really good minutes, and he is the way he has played, you still give him minutes with Allen coming back. Like, oh, yeah. Leor might lose a couple minutes, but the thing is, you take minutes from Devin before you take minutes from Leor. And, I mean, playing 11 guys, like, there are really good basketball teams that only play eight or nine tops. They play nine games. It's like, oh, like they kind of emptied out their bench. They played nine dudes. We're going to play 11 every game when Allen comes back. And so that's really going to matter when you're hitting the grind of the SEC schedule and especially in the SEC tournament when you're playing back-to-back-to-back-to-back days. Like, okay, you're playing 11 guys, so your guys are not playing nearly as much as anybody else. And so it's really good that Auburn can have such a deep team and such not really a drop-off, you know? Like – Leor, Chris Moore, Devin. I mean, those like there's not much of a difference when they're on the court. Like all all three of those guys do certain things better than the others. But the thing is they they complement the other guys around them and you just it's they just play well. And they're all giving you good minutes. And I think that'll continue even when Allen comes back. And I think that it's really invaluable to have both the, you know, playing these games in the tournament atmosphere, but also having the depth and having the guys that can still play no matter what. And then if one guy's having a really bad day, it doesn't bother you. Like if Devin turns the ball over four times and is missing every shot in the first half, you're like, okay, we're going to give Chris Moore and Leor more minutes. We're going to give Allen more minutes. And it's, it's just, you can raise up another guy and give him more minutes when one of them is struggling a lot, instead of just having to ride it out and maybe lose a game. Because someone they don't make kill a shot. you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you saw, this game was a perfect example. Devin, like you said, has been having probably his best season at Auburn. And, I mean, he had, like, three turnovers and three fouls mm-hmm. and zero points. Like, that's that's the point where you're like, okay, like, I know you're not a bad basketball player, but tonight you are. 
like i don't know what got in your head i don't know like what you're something happened tonight and you just start you don't have it and that's fine because we have guys that we can bring in and you'll play again like i don't think he's going to get punished going into this game unless he's just been doing the same thing in practice yeah um but yeah no it's always good to have tons of depth it's never a bad thing well, and that's the thing, and that's why Leor was on the court. You know, he hits the clutch three to put us up. Like, the reason he was on the court was, yeah, it's because of the minutes he's been playing. He's been playing really well in recent games. But, like, it's because Devin wasn't playing well. And so the yeah. alternative was put in Leor for the off- for the offensive set where you need a three. You put in Leor before you put in Chris Moore. If Devin had been playing like he has the past few games, Devin's on the floor at that time. So, yeah. That was kind of an example. If someone's not going to be playing well, Bruce is not going to hesitate to put in someone that he thinks will play well. So it's just, it's really invaluable to have the kind of depth that Auburn has. So I'm definitely really excited to see how the guys play against Murray State. This will be a good win, I think, at home. It'll really help us. Uh, And then really heading, heading towards conference play, we'll see how we do. It doesn't get any easier once conference play starts. You have LSU and Alabama in the first two weeks. So you'll really see how good this Auburn team is after the first two weeks of conference play. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. For Probably sure. Really disappointing. Yeah. That, but the thing, I mean, and the thing is, if you lose those games, you know, there's still a lot of season. There's still a lot of growth to make. But I think that we'll see, you know, a lot of, a lot of Auburn fans have super high expectations. And, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast a little bit, but we'll see, we'll see how it works out. But if, if you can really beat the uh I mean if you can really beat Alabama and LSU and look really good playing those teams I mean you've kind of, you've kind of proven that you can hang with most most teams in the country that you'll be playing in the tournament so definitely excited for those games but I think that kind of wraps up our our podcast for this day uh we'll be coming back next week being able to break down a little bit more uh We'll probably come back right after the bowl game and be able to kind of break down, you know, the the last football game of the the first year of Brian Harson's uh, first season. We'll be able to talk about that. We'll be able to talk about basketball, preview a little bit more stuff. It's going to be a good time. But as always, if you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to DM the page. Uh, and thank you guys for listening. And War Eagle. War Eagle.